Order. The Prime Minister. What a good idea. I move we take the Speaker's words down. Mr. President, catch this. The point of order is sustained. I rise today to begin to filibuster America and reach for the stars. We are human together. The best in America. I might have got here on my own. Howdy and welcome back to This Is News. I'm Reem, joined as always by Jack. Jack, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Reem. How are you? I am doing really well and I am very excited for this episode. Um, as we said back on episode five, um, every five episodes we will be doing a bit of an evergreen episode into a topic relating to kind of the structure of government, um, at least for the first few, and then maybe we'll branch out into other things later on. Episode five, of course, is entitled This is the Senate, where we do a deep dive into the pros and cons of the 17th Amendment. And I would highly recommend, after listening to today's episode, you go back and listen to episode five. But this week, we are going to be discussing expansion of the House of Representatives. Now, Jack and I are on different sides of this, and in true debate format... I will be presenting the case for expansion of the House of Representatives first, and then Jack is going to get to respond, and then we're going to have a discussion about it, and we'll see where we end up. So, let's start with some basic facts. Currently, in the House of Representatives, there are 435 members, um, with the smallest state getting one, and the largest state, which is California, getting 53 Um there are seven states that receive one representative. Um, and however, the difference between Montana and Rhode Island in the 2010 census was only 9,146 people, but that was enough to determine one whole representative. So the system is very prone to these kind of big rounding errors that allow for even a small number of people to vastly... Um, to, to cause vast variation in the representatives per or the people per representative. Um, so in Montana, it's as of 2010, it was 989,415 people per representative. While in Rhode Island, it was only 5,000, 500,000, 526,234 people per representative, right? So it's this big difference between the amount of representation you as an individual get. So that's one of the things this proposal would do. So under my proposal, what we would do is we would have a dynamic number of members of the house. So what you would do is you would take the state with the least population, divide it in two, and that is the number of people per representative. And then you just divide the state's population by that number and round to the nearest whole number, right? So Wyoming, the smallest state gets two reps, um, as opposed to one, then let's move up to Tennessee, which will get 23 representatives instead of nine. And then of course, Texas gets 89 representatives instead of 36. California will get 132 representatives as opposed to 53. Now there are a lot of questions I know you have about this. Let's start with a couple of them. One, where are we going to put all these people? The House of Representatives chamber is already crowded as is. It is. We can build a new building. That's not a big deal. Um, we can build a new House chamber. That'll be fine. We should probably make it bigger because, of course, this number is dynamic, so it could rise. It could, it could fall. 
Um, so we just need to make sure that we build a large enough house chamber to kind of accommodate maybe anywhere up to 1,200 reps. Um, it, it all really depends on the difference between kind of the larger states and the more rural states, their, their differences in population. Um, but so we would need to build a bigger house chamber. Yes, we will need to build more office space. Yes, but all these things are kind of one-time investment. We will need to pay for more politicians and more staff. Yes, but here's the benefit to that is Congress is meant to oversee the president, right? Now, the Senate at 100 members is not going to be able to oversee the executive branch fully, but the House has 435, and under this, we would get up to 1,093 members, right? So at that point, you're finally starting to get enough people where it would make sense for them to be in charge of overseeing the executive branch because there's actually enough people in committees to really take that work seriously and do it comprehensively. Um, one of the things this eliminates is the inspector general issue, right? Where you have a president who appoints inspector generals for to oversee his own appointees in the executive branch, right? So the inspector general for the state department can be fired by the president. If he's looking into things, he, the president doesn't want him to look into, right? Which is really counterintuitive and not at all how the founders intended our system to work. They intended for Congress to be the ones who kind of reviewed over these things. So by expanding the House of Representatives, we expand the number of eyes who can participate in government oversight, which is really, really important. Now, another question you might be asking, Reem, if there's 1,093 members of the House, debate is going to take forever. Yes, except I've proposed rule change to address that. In order to be able to speak in debate, you and nine other people must agree that you should be allowed to speak in floor debate. So this cuts down the total number of people who could be eligible to speak in floor debate, assuming every member of the House selected a different... Uh, only, ten, only 10 people were backing any one person to debate. Um, 10 total, including the person who's going to speak, would cut down the number of people total who could debate floor legislation from 1,000... And 93 to 109, which is actually less than the current number who are eligible to debate on the floor. So the House could actually get through debate faster, even though it would have more members. I would also support giving more power to the Speaker to allow them to have even more control over legislation, because with so many members, some legislation just shouldn't even be referred to committee, right? Like some legislation isn't going to get to see its day in the committee chamber at all, not even to just be deferred indefinitely, simply because so much more legislation is going to get filed with this many representatives. Now let's talk about a bit of the demographics. So what this does is it allows for where people live to be better represented, right? So a lot more people live in California than live in Wyoming, right? Um, currently, we only say it's 53 times, but under this amendment, it would move up to being 81 times more people live in California than live in Wyoming. And this is closer to what the actual population data says about those pop about the number of people in California versus the number of people in Wyoming. So we're better reflecting where people actually live in this country. Not only will now coupled with some amendments to coupled with some legislation to 
decrease or completely eliminate gerrymandering to make it where it's all computer-based to ensure the most compact districts possible with e roughly equal rep number of people per district, you would see a lot more districts in cities also better representing where people actually live. But that's that's another fight about gerrymandering that I don't think Jack and I want to talk about today, but I can assure you both Jack and I are opposed to the practice of gerrymandering. This also has some ramifications for the Electoral College, right? Because the number of members in the Electoral College, of course, is determined by the number of members of the House plus two, um, except for D.C., who would now receive four electoral votes instead of three um, because they receive the number of electoral votes of the least populous state. Um, so they would now get four. Um, but so currently in the Electoral College, there is a huge disparity between the number of people per Electoral College vote. Um, so if you compare Wyoming and California, the disparity is there are, in Wyoming, there are 489,480 less people per electoral college vote in Wyoming than there are in California. While under this proposed system, there would only be 136,706 less people per electoral vote in California than there are in Wyoming, which would mean that the electoral vote would also better, re would, it would reduce some of the imbalance that favors smaller states over larger states. Jack, the floor is yours. Thank you, Reem. Uh, that was very well presented. I have to agree that the uh, argument that we should be very concerned about the cost is a little silly. Uh, expanding the House would be little more than a rounding error when it uh, comes to the uh, federal budget. But uh, other than that, I must strongly disagree with you. So here, here is my case for uh, why the uh, House of Representatives should not expand. So obviously we're talking about the legislature and the whole reason that we need a legislature in the first place is because the government gets its powers from the consent of the governed. So the, those who are being governed should get to elect those who go make the laws and decide what rules they're gonna have to live under. And uh, in the federal case, that means the House and for the people, and the Senate means for the states. And for that, again, go watch our, uh, our fifth video. This is the Senate, where we explain why that should be divided. But uh, the question then becomes, not only should we have a legislature, but what size this legislature should be. And clearly, it can't be a legislature of one, because that's just a tyranny. That's a king. And it can't be a democracy where every citizen gets a vote on every issue because that's mob rule, as pointed out in the Federalist 10. And I think you would agree with that. And I think you would also agree, Reem, that there is no exact answer that we can like derive from the laws, laws of nature that is exactly right. And the uh, Federalist would agree with that. As the Federalist wrote in, number, in Federalist number 55, no political problem is less susceptible of a precise solution than that which relates to the number most convenient for a representative legislature. And it's very true that currently our, our current number is 435 reps, but it would make little difference if it was uh, 434 or 436. And even if we expanded it to Reams, uh, what was it, 1,093, right? Yep. Uh, it wouldn't matter too much if it was 1,094 or 1,092. And we see throughout the states that there really is no rule about how many representatives there should be based on population. 
the federal government has 435 reps with its uh, 300 million citizens. Texas has 150 reps in its state House of Representatives. Massachusetts, despite having a smaller population than Texas, has 160 reps in its House of Representatives. North Dakota has 94 reps with its very tiny population. And the Galactic Senate of the Republic, Star Wars, had 2,000 members despite trillions <laughs> of citizens. So it really is, and that Jack, is where Jack, the, yes. I have to object to using the Galactic Senate. <laughs> well, technically it's the Senate, not the House, but the point, Dream, <laughs> is that the point is that different groups with different population sizes have had a vast, diverse range of numbers in their legislature. And as such, there's not really a historical precedent we can use to say this is the correct number, this is the correct standard. And uh, going off of that, there are, I researched this a lot when this debate was uh, coming up. One of the critiques you pointed out is that people are underrepresented in like urban areas. And uh, a lot of people who agree with you, such as people in the Time Magazine, New York Times, and National Review have pointed to that these being underrepresented will lead to a more elitist style in the House of Representatives where some interests are not being expressed that should be expressed. And this is actually not a new phenomenon. The founders directly addressed this issue. In Federalist 55, when talking about the size of the House, they specifically say, the charges exhibited against this House are first that it is so small a number of representatives that it will be an unsafe repository of the public interest, second that they will not possess a proper knowledge of the local circumstances of their numerous constituents, Thirdly, that they will be taken from that class of citizens, which they will sympathize least with the feelings of the mass of people, and be most likely to aim at a permanent elevation of the few on the depression of the many. Fourthly, that defective as the number will be in the first instance, it will be more and more disproportionate by the increase of the people and the obstacles which will prevent a correspondent increase of the representatives. So the the, uh, Federalists were well aware of the things we're debating about now and all of the uh, criticisms Ring brought up and other supporters of expanding the House have brought up. But they realized a very important factor that I think you're missing, and that's when it comes to representation, it cannot be based on population. We cannot be deciding the size of the House solely on some population formula, whether it's one for every 50,000 citizens, 30,000 citizens, or your proposal where we uh, take the least numerous state and give it two, and we use that uh, as our Uh, that state's population as the number we use to decide how many reps. And uh, they explain this in the Federalist 55, and I think it's very telling. They, They specifically say the ratio between the representatives and the people ought not to be the same where the latter are very numerous as where they are few. Nothing can be more fallacious than to found our political calculations on arithmetic, sorry, mathematical principles. 60 or 70 men may be more properly trusted with a given degree of power than 6 or 7, but it does not follow that 6 or 700 would be proportionally a better depositary. And if we carry on the supposition to 6 or 7,000, the whole reasoning ought to be reversed. The truth is that in all cases, a certain number at least seems to be necessary to secure the benefits of free consolation discussion and to guard against too easily a combination for improper purposes, as on the one hand, the number ought to be at to be kept within a certain limit in order to avoid the confusion and temperance of the multitude. In all very numerous assemblies of whatever character composed, a passion never failed to wrest the scepter from reason. Had every Athenian citizen been a Socrates, every Athenian assembly would still have been a mob. So clearly they understand that you do need a certain number to be 
to debate and prevent corruption of one faction from taking over, but you can't have a shouting mob masquerading as a legislature. And to base the entire assumption on we should do it based on population or we should have or more is better is just false. And the uh, founders understood this. So uh, I do believe that 435 reps allows for the things that a House of Representatives should have. We have a wide range of interests already expressed in the House. You can find very left-wing uh, House members. You can find socialists leaning. You can find moderates. You can find Trump-loving. You can find classic conservatives. Like there are a wide diverse, a wide range of values already being expressed in the House. And we are already representing them, so I don't really see the need to expand because of that. And as the New York Times pointed out all the way back in 1911, when we decided to stop expanding the House of Representatives, we decided to stop because it was getting so large it was becoming uncontrollable. Like they weren't being able to have any productive discourse if they expanded further, and it would have been the very Athenian mob that the, that the framers warned us about. So it's because of that that we stopped expanding, and I think that uh, that was definitely for the best, and if we expanded, we would have seen a mob. But even worse than that, uh, the one uh, most important factor is actually discussed in Federalist 10. Now, in Federalist 10, James Madison talked about factions, and he described factions as a number of citizens, whether amounting to a majority or a minority of the whole, who are united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. He explained the danger of them and the US and how the U.S. Constitution brilliantly checks these dangers by rendering them by their number and local situation unable to assert and carry into effect schemes of oppression. So I would argue that having a lower amount of reps ensures this and expanding this House of Representatives to the size Reign wants would actually increase the dangers of factions. So as uh, they discuss the size of the House of Representatives and Federalist 10 as well, and they say, uh, in the first place, it is to be remarked that however small the Republic may be, the representatives must be raised to a certain number in order to guard against the balls of the few, and that however large it may be, they must be limited a certain number in order to guard against the confusion of a multitude. Again, the mob will show up and it will be confusing and hectic and a thousand will definitely ensure that. As each representative will be chosen by a greater number of citizens in the large than the small republic, it will be more difficult for unworthy candidates to practice with success the vicious parts by which elections are too often carried and the suffrages of the people being more free will be more likely to center in men who possess the most attractive merit and the most effusive and established characters. And then he goes on to say, by enlarging too much the number of electors, you render the representatives too little acquainted with their local circumstances and lesser interests. As by reducing it too much, you render him unduly attached to these and too little fit to comprehend and pursue great and national objects. The federal constitution forms a happy combination that respects great and aggregate interests being referred to the national, the local, and particular to the state legislature. But I think what the big problem would be, Reem, is you would have 1,093 members, which would already be an Athenian-style mob that they warned against that would be very dysfunctional, very chaotic, everyone wanting their voice to be heard. And uh, not only that, because they would be so much more closely connected to their district, they would be solely focused on re-election, as politicians often are, and they would refuse to put their local interests aside for the interests that are better for the nation. Instead of doing what Madison said they would do and placing the national interests above local, they would place local above national. And because of that, we would see local factions, likely in urban areas, take over. 
because as you give, you said yourself that it would give certain urban areas larger and larger representation. They would form factions, as all people do, and they would be more concerned with their local circumstances than the national circumstances. As such, they would place their factions' interests over the interests of all other factions in this nation, and we would see the very mob rule and faction uh uh, or sorry, uh, a blank to what I was going to say. We would see the mob rule and the rule of one faction just as Madison warned against. And that is why I would have to oppose increasing the House of Representatives. I think we'll just end up with a mob rule with one faction trying to take over. All right. So, one, I address the unruliness point with my proposed rule change, Jack. And so... I, I will say good good luck telling nine tenths of the politicians they're not going to be allowed to speak. Just tell them to get better friends. And like even, it's he here's what it does. And even so, I do I do. Here's what it does though is it allows any group of ten to act like their own political party almost right where they can have one spokesman who speaks for all ten of them, much like how the speaker of the house speaks for the majority party today. Perhaps, and in some circumstances I could see that, but I think there would be a lot of bickering and yelling between the two sides. We've seen, especially for controversial subjects, we've seen the House get out of hand, and it would be much more difficult to get them back into order when you have 1,000 members yelling and screaming at each other, and in some cases fighting, as as has happened before, compared to the uh, 435. And it's not just the House debate that needs to be considered. Like, uh, honestly, Reem, I think you just really must hate the current House whips. Like their job would be so much more difficult. Just the, just the ability to get people to agree to things would be insane. There would be it would overcomplicate every step that's involved in being in a legislature, not just the debate. It's, but, it would be but, three times harder to get bills written, to get bills passed, to have unity. Jack, isn't a good legislative Bro, system a legislative system that kills a lot of legislation? I mean, to a certain extent, but as I've said, not only will you create an ineffective mob in a certain sense, you're also allowing for a faction to take over. Wait, wait, hold on. What what faction is taking over? So here's here's how that would work. Basically, what the founders attempted to do, they, they specifically say that it's a flaw to base representation based on okay, population alone. No, that, no, that no, just no, no. But then when they were all in Congress... They voted in the original 12 Bill of Rights articles to have the pop, the number of representatives be dictated by every group of 50,000 people in your state. So you would get one rep for every 50,000 people in your state. That's what they said when they were in Congress. Now, yes, I understand so, that allegedly it, did not pass the Connecticut state legislature. Maybe. Allegedly. Is it part of the Constitution or not? Should it have been part of the Constitution is a fun legal debate that courts have said they can't mess with. No. There is a reason that of the 12 amendments originally proposed to the states, only one of them is not a part of our Constitution. And that's because they realized that it would be a disaster. No, 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 no. If you look back, the reason it didn't pass Connecticut was because there was a transcribing error on the amendment that was sent to Connecticut. And so the House changed their mind and just wanted to re-vote to pass the amendment again so it could go to Congress and be the, the only reason. We do not have 6,000 members of the House today is because someone who was handwriting the Bill of Rights 
misread the Senate Journal when they amended this article of the Bill of Rights. That is the only reason we do not have that. If they had written it down properly... No, no, no. If they had written it down properly, we would have 6,000 members (laughs) in the House today. So the founders wanted this, Jack. Any argument to the contrary... You have to remember, the Federalist Papers only existed as a propaganda device to get people convinced that the Constitution was a good idea. How dare once you it was passed, one of the greatest political writings in American once it history? Was, no, way, no, is... it's literally it's the same as AOC coming out and, and finding ways to say it's... that she's in favor of the Green New Deal or any of the people who support this... the Patriot Act coming out and saying how... they're in favor of the Patriot Act or Joe Biden going to black how, churches how you... to say this they is... should be in favor of the crime bill in the 90s and 80s. Look, like, like, this is the same thing. The... The... The Federalist Papers are one of the most beautiful things ever written in the English yes, language. Yes, they are they written well. Are, they describe they describe how a government should be nearly No, 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 no. What they describe, how, how what they describe is things. why states should vote to ratify the Constitution. That's all they describe. Yes. And one of and one of the things that states were very concerned about is that twofold the federal government would grow very, very large and very, very which powerful, they should have been, and would yeah. just basically and be, evidently that was a basically that was a, be that was, a, that was a valid and they concern. address this. They they address yes they address <laughs> this by saying we're not we're there are other there are other variables in play besides that besides House representation. But for House representation, they say we're not going to base it on population because that doesn't work. Instead, we're going to pick a number to ensure that there's debate. But we're not going to pick a number that devolves into nothing less than a okay, mob. Okay, but literally when not they got okay, that, but Jack, Jack, literally when they so, got so, into Congress, suppose, they said, "All right, let's pick a number." Let, they they did pass that, but there is a reason that that's the only amendment they, yes, they proposed yes, that is no, not yeah, part and of the And the reason is because and that is someone who was writing it down. No, no, they did not reject no, the idea. No, you're wrong. I have it. No. How dare you? I have the floor. I have the floor. You, I am, I am on the Wikipedia page right now, and it specifically says the lower house of the Connecticut General Assembly approved the amendment along with ten others on October seventeen eighty nine. The house of the assembly deferred taking any action on the amendments until after the next yes. election. At which point, the previous vote is rendered mute because you can't just pick up on bills that were passed by one chamber sessions ago and the lower house after that election rejected the amendment. no 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 what they and did they, was they rejected the amendment as they had previously passed it and wanted to pass the actual correct version but the senate of connecticut got in like got got in a, got in a bit of a mood and was like no you guys right. it's literally you know, you know how we make jokes about house v senate rivalries being a thing it's literally that except it affects how many members of the house we have today if 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 it well, had it been is. written down correctly the first time it was sent to Connecticut, we would have six thousand members of the House today. Period. It's actually closer to ten thousand, according to the New York Times. Are you wanting a, a Senate of ten or a House of ten thousand members? Room? Look, I'm not saying I want it. I'm saying the founders supported basing the number of members of the House off of population, as evidenced by the fact that when they were all in Congress and state legislatures, an overwhelming majority of them 
agreed that it should be based on population. And what they were writing in the Federalist Papers was right. just to convince reluctant states to approve the Constitution before they could get into state legislatures right. to advocate for these kinds of things. Like this amendment, which only needed one more state to pass, which meant a majority of the states Look, approved it. I, I must, I must object... Just because something passed in Congress does not mean it is the universal sentiment of the founding generation or of the founders as a whole. Really? If you're going to argue that, you must also argue no, no, no. that the Alien and Sedition Acts <laughs> prove that the free speech clause does not protect political speech in certain circumstances. Jack, Jack, but Jack, it's not just because it passed Congress. It's also because an over, like a clear majority of states were in favor of it. Clearly not. It's not in. It's not in the Jack, Constitution. You can have a majority it's, of so states. Jack, I, ten of the thirteen look, states approved it. Why are we it. arguing? Why are we arguing about this obscure amendment that will never pass? The matter at hand is if we should expand the House in principle, which we not should, on the basis of this amendment. And here, here is the problem. Federalist Ten argues against factions. I think you would agree that letting one faction be in charge is a bad idea. Whether you think this will lead to it or not, you agree that one faction in charge is no, a bad idea. No, I'm in idea, favor right? of an overwhelmingly majoritarian house. If you have a majority of the members of the house, you get to run the house, right? The house is meant to be where majoritarian sentiment runs wild. And the Senate is meant to be where consensus building is the, is the, is the rule of the day. So you would have it where... Basically, leftist urban areas would get to dictate the will of the House every single election, and every other faction would be made subservient to that one faction. I would have it where here's the problem I would have that. it You're where expanding it to such a size where other factions will be unable to be represented. Really? Like, as really? of now, as of now, yes, as of now, there is. A, because they talk about this distinction in the Federalist 10, you have to come up with a size that balances the issues to where the House of Representatives is more incentivized to care about national issues than local issues, and that com combat factionalism. Because those people who win will be more concerned with what benefits the nation and what benefits Jack. one specific group of people Jack. in one specific area. In, in shrinking it too Jack. much, you bound them too strongly to the will of that one faction who is electing them. And in such, they will be subservient to that faction, not the interests of the nation. Jack. And there will be one faction that overwhelmingly takes control of the House. They will be subservient to that faction, not the national interest. And we will see that faction rise above the interests of the Jack, nation. Jack, are you really going to tell me that... One, you don't think that conservatives would change their strategy in how they try to appeal to urban areas if, like, the fact that they would never have a House majority again depended on it? And two... Even if that's two, true, a conservative faction taking dominant charge at the national level is just as dangerous as a left-wing faction having dominance every okay, year. Okay, but that's literally level. okay, but that's literally what our system encourages is one faction taking charge at the national level. Okay, like okay, two, are you no. no. It specifically says that it balances here's the problem. It's true that the House should have a majority in charge that dictates things. For that you're right, and I do agree that the House should be more popular populist in its nature than the Senate. We, we agree on this. The problem is what issues are the House 
placing first? Are they placing issues that benefit the nation first or issues that place their local constituency? What first? issues are they placing and first the, right now? What, no, 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 Jack, are you really going to tell me that congressmen in the House today care more about the national interest than they do about the constituents who will reelect them? I'm not saying that all of them do, but I am saying that this will only exacerbate any current problem about that, not make it better. Okay, okay, so but you to, completely ignore the oversight point I make, right? Because oh no, I I don't ignore it. I haven't gotten okay. to it yet. Give me give me a oh, second. Okay. So for the oversight, like I want to make sure I don't I don't want to. Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, so hold on, hold sure on, hold on, right. on. Before you move to this, I want to make one thing clear. I'm not in favor of letting urban areas control the House of Representatives. I'm in favor of letting where people live dictate where representatives come from. That's just another way of saying that urban areas... No, if a bunch of people moved to the suburbs, I'd be in favor of the suburbs dictating who was in the house. Or if a bunch of people moved back to rural areas... Yes, but that's, that's like, the problem. It would be that faction That faction would dictate all of their factions. And keeping the districts larger, there is a certain rep representatives that have to account for multiple factions' okay, interests. But if we, the tinier and tinier you make that district, the less factions they have to account for until it's one faction or, that they are subservient or, to. And if there is one faction that is numerous in the House, they will all be subservient to that one faction and the wills of the faction rather than the interests of the nation. Okay, but let's think about this in the long run, right? So today, yes, this would lead to probably more Democrats in the House of Reps. But in the long run, yes. it would force the Republican Party to actually finally care more about urban issues and would create meaningful debate about the issues that affect where a majority of Americans live. Is that in a bad thing? In the long thing? run, it would... So, in the long run, that may perhaps be true that the conservatives would change their strategy. Actually, that is true. Like, you, you are right about that. But here's the problem with that. Once you've implemented the system where one faction gets to take charge, it's now a fight about whose faction is going to take charge. But that's what it is today. On the American but that's people. what it is today, Jack. It's not and, changing what the House that is. is one of the major... That is one of the major problems that's splitting our nation apart. You would exacerbate that. The whole argument for the states banding together as one union, as proposed in the Federalist Papers, was you don't have to worry about one faction taking over. We're going to protect your localism. We're going to protect your state sovereignty. Like, you are going to get to do... Like, a farmer in Georgia is not going to be affected by a bank. Right, in so... Like that was... That's what they were so saying. So if the House but is less able... No, allows, Jack, Jack, hear me out. If the House is less able to function all right, all right. effectively, doesn't that mean more responsibility will fall to the states to actually legislate? Um... Well, unfortunately, I think based on this current week, the Supreme Court would just jump in and make the law. Oh, but, um, uh, oh but that's a different topic for a different time. <laughs> Episode, hey, hey, tune in uh, next week, folks, because I'm sure there will be even more Supreme Court rulings. And oh boy, does Jack have opinions? No, it would. Yes, it, uh, the correct ones, like Justice Thomas, but not Justice Gorsuch. Um, anyways, uh, the uh, oh boy, uh, your point. It, Perhaps some legislation would devolve back to the states, and I do think that would be a win. But eventually, as as crazy as the Athenian 
as an Athenian mob would be, and as crazy as the mob at the French Revolution was, a faction eventually takes charge, and through that chaos, they start getting stuff done that attacks the other faction. No, no, but Jack, and Jack, I we do, still have the Senate. I do think that would inevitably happen. We still have the Senate. We do, we do still and have And in this, Senate. like, dream world that but, we're debating about, we have a Senate that's appointed by state legislatures who still has that's true. a 60-vote filibuster. All of our episode 5s are connected. <laughs> yeah, all of our episode fives are yeah, connected. Folks, so you, you, uh, we've already we've already yeah, got rid folks, of folks. You really have to do. We're doing this. Yeah, one. you really have to do. Go back to episode five to understand the full canon of the um, multiple of five episodes because it, it's only going to get deeper. Even on that, yeah, I would I would prefer that both of our chambers not be at risk of being just governed by one faction at all times. I would I'd like them to be both useful and not just accept that one is. Corrupted okay. and hope that the second one does their Jack, job. Here's... And the fact is that they will because they are because there are more districts yeah. inherently that will shrink the size of the right. district, which is the goal, and homogenize and homogenize the interests also of the, the goal in that district. Right? Yeah, that's part of the goal. So right because in, in because no, 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 no. because them, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Someone in Round Rock, Texas, has different priorities than someone in downtown Austin, even though they're only a couple miles away from each other. Exactly. 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 So this is my point. So because of that, the representative, because right now you have to appeal to, well, I just blinked out. What's the opposite of homogenous? Help me out. Help me out. Heterogeneous. It's heterogeneous. There we go. Uh, Trust me on politics, not big words. Because it's a district that's more heterogeneous, there is less they can get their voters to agree on. Less issues they can say, I want to do this, and all people agree to. What this means is that they have to limit their positions to a certain extent to only greater issues that should be discussed at the but national level. But I would rather level. have – I would leaves, rather and have – And it leaves the little issues at the local level for your state rep where the district should be smaller and more homogenous. But I would rather have more impassioned advocates who better understand the needs of their constituents because they live in their communities than reps who can live than reps who can live like a hundred miles away from me. So, but you're arguing the same thing that the Federalists disproved. They mentioned that one of the things people were worried about is that they'd be too disconnected from the community. They also point out that while it's true a rep can be too disconnected, they can be too connected, and they could be ultimately, rather than an intelligent representative with their own views, nothing more than a puppet for their constituency, and they will push only what their constituency wants. So, so this comes down... Getting elected, and their constituency so is so homogenous, the... they can only have one view. Jack, you're going to have to remind me the terms, but this comes down to like the delegate versus the representative model? of Congress, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I knew we were going to get yeah. there. So, so I have an argument I'm for arguing this. for the delegate model, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> a little refresher of AP Gov here. Um, right. So I'm arguing for a yes. much stronger delegate model because you're going to get the representative model up in the Senate. And by including the fact so, that you need 10 people to nine people to support you to be able to speak on the floor, it means that your issue must at least not be solely focused on your constituency for you to get okay. time to speak on it on the floor. Like, like it's built into the system, Jack, that you have to have broader support so, than just, I want to say something. 
Okay, but here's the problem. If you make the reps so numerous, the one dominant faction will have so many members it doesn't have to branch out. Like all the urban members with the similar interests will be able to get their nine or ten people they need to speak and they'll be able to control the debate. But going off of your wait, wait, uh, wait, delegate wait. No, versus no, no, representative. No, Jack, no, no, no. Let's, wait, let's, we got to move on to some point, my friend. Okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. Go on. Just let me cover this yeah, one yeah. thing. You go, brought go, go. So for, for, for our listeners, if you don't know the difference between delegate or representative, there's two views of how a representative should be. One is the representative model where the people elect someone they trust, and then that person does what they think is best for every single vote event. So even if their constituents take like the, let's say someone from Texas – uh, was elected by a very pro Second Amendment district, and they get to Washington and they decide, and the, a bill comes up having to do with guns. Based on the representative model, despite his constituency strong Second Amendment views, a representative might think they elected me because they trust my judgment. I believe this gun control measure is a good thing. I'm going to vote yes. So he he basically, it's based on the judgment of the person, and you hope that they are smart enough to do the right thing. The delegate model would be the representative goes, my constituency is pro-Second Amendment, so I must be pro-Second Amendment. And I must, I must reject the idea that we should have a delegate model, not a representative model. Edmund Burke himself discussed this issue, and he said essentially that we do need a... Uh, the delegate mo- or sorry not the delegate model the representative model because reps sh- just shouldn't speak the people's will at that point we should just have mob democracy they should debate the issues as one nation caring more about what benefits the nation of a whole as a whole rather than their district if you want reps who should care only about their district or their local area go to the local government for that not uh, the national government. Okay, and even more, Jack, this was represented really Jack, well. Hey, I'm still discussing my point. Jack. This was uh, shown really well in the uh, movie Lincoln, uh, which is an excellent movie. I recommend you go see this. Representative Thaddeus Stevens, who is uh, uh, played by uh, Tommy Lee Jones, he's talking with Lincoln about this, and they point out that the people... Uh, Thaddeus Stevens, for those who don't know, was very pro-abolition. He was one of the great civil rights leaders in our country. He was talking about his desire to get the 13th Amendment ratified. And Lincoln was like, the people in your district don't agree with you. And he was like, I don't care what the people think. I have fought long and hard for the good of the people without caring much about them or what they think. That should be a representative. He should rise above the passions and vices of his electorate. And he should pursue that which is best for them and the nation, not that which they desire. Okay, so here's the deal, though. The current system doesn't, like, help that. Like, I don't know what reform you think is going to suddenly lead to a less hyper-partisan and more national interest-focused house, but it would probably involve lengthening terms, shortening, like, so that way they don't have to run for election as much, which is bold, to say the least, and... Like that is the, um, I wouldn't go there. I would go uh, if we're if we're really discussing that we need a major revival of federalism and much more power devolving back to the states. And I think term limits would really help. But uh, I would like to move on. You you said I hadn't addressed your uh, oh, oversight, your oversight point, point. about yeah, oversight. oversight. And I, I do I want I want to make sure that I don't mess up your opinion here. But you're arguing basically is more reps allows more oversight. And thus, uh, right, because there's be literally able, we won't have to depend on the executive. Right. We won't have to depend on the executive to uh, uh, investigate right. itself. 
So on that, I have to go back again to Federalist 55, what they say. They, they say specifically 60 or 70 men may be more properly trusted with a given degree of power than six or seven, but it does not follow that six or 700 would, would be proportionately a better depository. You will eventually just wind up with a bunch of fools who are just as clueless and just as useless as uh, would be two or three reps. And then also, I got to point out, more is not more reps isn't necessarily what we need. We just need the reps to start actually doing their job. Take John Adams, for example. Now, this is before our current Congress. This was back during the Continental Congress during the war. John Adams was in the Continental Congress from 1774 to 1777. So this is only four years. During this time, he served on a total of 90 committees, not nine, not 19, 90. He chaired 20 of them. And in the year 1777 alone, he was simultaneously involved in 26 committees, and he was the chairman of eight. Now, I get that that was war, and that was a special circumstance, so he probably should be working a little harder than the average person. But this, being a representative, is supposed to be a difficult sacrifice you do on behalf of your right. nation. And we've turned it into kind of a luxury, easy job. Right. We don't need more reps. We need reps doing their job. We don't need 1,000 reps to do this. He was able to be on 90 committees. Why can't we have the four, 435 members we currently have just do their job and investigate like they're supposed to? And if that means a few light, late nights, so be it. That's what because you signed up Jack, for. You don't have to run deal. for re-election again if you don't want to. Here's the deal, Jack. There's so few of them that they can just go onto the floor anytime they want, give a speech with the right talking points, and then get invited <laughs> on Fox and Friends the next day because there's no one kind of limiting who gets to speak and... Like, there's no limiting principle there, and so. Another thing: Do you really think? Do you really think that that would be better, not exacerbated by expanding the house? And what I mean, like that, you pointed to like Fox and Friends. If we have one thousand ninety-three members, the average person can't keep track of that. You and right. I can't even keep track of that with all the right. With so what would happen was those who were popular with the media, so the like three reps. Fox News loves. Basically, AOC would be on all the time, and Matt Barrett's for the right would be on all the time. And the middle ground, the more moderate and probably more reasonable ground, would be largely ignored. But there how, would, how would be, be more votes there, Jack, so they would have more control. Like, like here's the deal. Here, here's one thing you forget, is the more localized you make things, the more variance there is within a community, right? So, like, yes, the New York 17th district, who I don't know represents it. Like, go look that up. Um, right now has one representative who represents part of that community. But it could have probably around two or three representatives representing that community who would help better represent the diversity of opinions that come from the New York 17th district. Um, but here's, here's the problem that I don't think you would get more diverse because it would so greatly exacerbate the disparity between urban or one type of faction to the other. All the faction would need to do is be highly, highly centralized in urban areas. Or, or, and despite or there you being mean, a diverse or range Jack, you mean have more voters? No, not even that. Really? It could... It could simply be just more prevalent in those districts to the point that one faction does get to take over. I mean, L.A. and New York City have a lot more in common than like some random uh, rural area in Texas and like 
some suburban area in Washington, but those two urban reps would multiply to like 10 or 15 reps and they would have so much larger of a voice that it would shut the other factions out. They they would be unable to speak. Jack, that's because there's 10 to 15 times more people living in those areas. Are you seriously saying that we should like not advocate for one person, one equally strong voice in Congress? I think you mean one person, one vote. Well, is, is that, yes, is that what you're yes, but to? I'm more I'm framing it in the like congressional sense. I think that I, I think that each person's vote should count equally in the uh, House of Representatives. Whether that's mandated by the Constitution is another discussion for another time. But again, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that you do to a certain extent need to make it where so many factions have to be represented by a certain representative that there are fewer issues he can run on and pursue and still get reelected to ensure that national issues stay with the national government and localized issues stay at the local level. If you make it where there is only one faction he has to appeal to, he can be as radical as that faction will let him be, and he can bring issues that should be decided at the local at the local level to the federal level and keep getting reelected and if you have enough people who have similar factions and similar local issues all at the federal level all pursuing their local issues you will see issues that should be decided at the local level be made one size fits all for the entire nation and harm all other factions who are opposed to that Jack, idea Jack if there's going to be so many people opposed to that idea being one size fits all, it won't pass. Not necessarily. Well, also, are you arguing just strict majoritarianism, but like whatever the majority yes, wants? That's how work. the house that works. Is. That's how it should work. The Senate should be where that is moderated, not the but house. The entire that is not what the founders argued. Jack, what Jack, James Jack, Madison Jack, specifically Jack. said in Federalist 10 is that, yes, it's true in the House, 50, uh, obviously this isn't the right amount, but like 50% plus one of the vote should carry right. the bill. But the district should be of such a size that you have to appeal to so many factions that one okay. faction cannot gain unilateral control. And the majority, the majority, whatever that majority is, will be comprised of multiple factions, and it has to be in its nature to comprise a majority. You, your solution would basically allow one faction to be a majority in and of itself without being a supermajority, which would be quite dangerous and would allow for the factionalism our Constitution was designed for. All right, Jack, let let, let me make a couple closing arguments here. One, I believe in judging people by their actions, not their words. And if we look at the actions the founders took, they wanted a house based on... Not ratifying it? No. A majority... Not not ratifying it. 10 of 13 states ratified. Not And a majority majority of Congress voting for. That was only stopped because a staffer... So are you saying that a majority... Are you saying that a majority faction tried to pass an amendment and all the other factions were able to stop it because our designed to prevent such a thing. No, I'm saying the requisite number of states tried to pass an amendment and it would have passed if a clerical error go. hadn't been go. made. That that is a lie. That is a No, Jack, it's literally it what happened. If a, you read the like mm, archives from Connecticut, that's what happened. 
No, no. Jack, I'm making. No. I, I do. I have to. I have to. I have to add one more oh, thing before we close. Can I do that? Real okay. Quick? No. Hold on. Hold on. Hold I, on. I just... Hold on. I'm finishing. All right. All right. Finishing. All right. As I was saying, very well, my friend. I believe in judging people by their actions, not their words. And if you look beyond the propaganda issued to get the Constitution ratified towards the actions the founders took, they too wanted to see a house whose membership was based upon population, and they thought the requisite number was 50,000. Now, I think that number can be higher due to current technology. But I still agree with the founders that the number of members of the house should not be some arbitrary number. It should be based on the population within states and should be dynamic in that way. Second, I am in favor of one person, one vote. And I believe that we should better represent where people actually live as it will force both parties to better address the issues that affect people where they live and not simply resort to gerrymandering districts in order to maintain flimsy house majorities. Finally, when you do this in conjunction with what I've brought forward about reform in the Senate, which we both agreed on last episode in episode five, what this allows is it allows for a majoritarian house who will send more legislation to the Senate where the Senate, who is then working based on consensus, will be able to whittle it down to the issues that truly affect the entire nation and a large number of the states. In all, I think this better represents the dual interests of the people who will be more adequately represented by having a representative who lives closer to where they are and better knows their community, and by having a Senate who's better rep at representing the states because they're not directly elected by the people. All in all, I think this better upholds the ideals of bicameralism, which is that you have two houses who represent fundamentally different groups and act in fundamentally different ways because of that. Jack, go. Deciding the number for the House of Representatives or any legislative body is a balancing act. There are multiple interests, such as diverse debate, multiple interests, the consent of the governed, the population, that all have to be acknowledged and balanced in order to create a range of numbers which are permissible. There is no exact number that we can find through reason or revelation that will say we need 417 or 1219. We must take all these variables and we must find a number that is in harmony with all of them. What I believe Reem's biggest mistake is, is that he ignores the necessity for this harmony of all the variables and he pursues just one variable that he places above all others, that of population. However, the, found, the Founding Fathers seen best in the Federalist Papers and the Constitution and the amendments that actually got to be a part uh, of that clerical Constitution. Um. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but they're wrong. <laughs> Show that, yes, the House of Representatives is majoritarian in his nature, but this is not without a certain caveat. While it is majoritarian, the number of reps which constitute a majority are bound by a certain set of variables that dictate that their district will be full of so many numerous factions that they will be unable to pursue a radical agenda pleasing only one faction and will instead have to moderate on local issues and go represent 
those issues which are best for the nation and pursue national issues only. In allowing one faction to control the will and actions of a legislature entirely, you allow one faction to eventually take over the House of Representatives where they would otherwise not be able to. And that is the very majoritarian rule, mob rule tyranny that the founders warned of and that the Constitution itself was designed to prevent. And for that very reason, I must reject the idea of expanding the House. All right, Jack, I think we've presented two compelling but different cases. Um, one clearly correct. Yes, one clearly correct, and I think we both disagree on which one that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't always be right, my friend. It's, it's okay. Uh, okay. Um, well, look, differing opinions to be sure. For sure, for sure. What we're going to do is we're going to put a poll up on our Twitter page at This Is News Pod, where you can vote for which argument you personally side with so be sure to tech to check us out on twitter or instagram at this is news pod to stay up to date with everything we're doing and as always you can reach out to us there with any questions comments or feedback about the program we always love to hear from our listeners jack is there anything else you would like to leave our listeners with um, just have a great week and enjoy the fact that your House of Representatives is of a reasonable and decent size and is uh, it should stay and hopefully it will stay that way for the entirety of, of your lives. All right, interesting take there from Jack. Great. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for tuning in to what are always some really fun episodes when we get to do these kind of deeper dives into ideas yes. for reform um, episode 15 we're going to be talking about the electoral college so be sure to stay listening to this is news and until then keep tuning into our weekly episodes as we kind of tackle what's going on in the news each week from a bit of a more conservative perspective as mentioned before you can find us on social media at this is news pod be sure to give us a like and follow and on whatever platform you are listening to this fine podcast on make sure to subscribe and leave us a positive rating it really does help us reach new listeners who only five stars <laughs> right if you're going to give us less than five stars um walk away walk away as always folks i'm reem thanks for tuning in